one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of AT Talks. Uh, Tom Barkowski, your host, and I'm with the founders of Latinx ATs. Um, so if we could just quickly go around and introduce ourselves, and then we'll start talking about what is uh, Latinx ATs and how it all began. Um, so I'm Elizabeth Leon. I go by Ellie. Um, and what else did you want to know about ourselves? <laughs> Uh, clinical setting, Ellie? Oh, clinical setting. I don't yeah. actually have a clinical setting. I'm in the educational setting more than anything. What, uh, what, what state are you like practicing in or that you're doing educating um, in? I'm currently in Kentucky, but I'm actually based out of Nevada. Right. My name is Oscar Lopez Huerta. I just recently graduated from UNO's athletic training program. I uh, recently got my certification licensure, so I'm just awaiting for now, January, uh, when sports will return to Las Vegas. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Alyssa Vanderman. I am an assistant athletic trainer at Cal State Los Angeles here in uh, the heart of Los Angeles. Um, and then also I am a per diem athletic trainer for WorkRight, which is an industrial company based out here in L.A. as well. I'm Alejandra Merriman. Um, a lot of people call me Alex. I am a CTE teacher and secondary school athletic trainer at Dorsey High School in South Central Los Angeles. All right. And so I believe this all started during our, our quarantine COVID phase, correct? This group's right. only been around for a couple months. Kind of. It's actually, so it kind of really just started to pick up during that time. Oh, okay. All right. So when did it start? Um, I've been in the thought process for a couple of years now, but okay. officially like November of last year. All right. It started on Facebook, but then again, it kind of just picked up on Twitter at the start of quarantine. Okay. So was this, did this come out of a single person's thought or was this always a, a group collection or just kind of, Hey, I have an idea. Can you help me with this? And then you just started pulling people in. Or how, how, did, how did that it, work? We call it Ellie's baby, and okay. we're just the Theos and Theas. <laughs> That's how we call it. Um, this is definitely Ellie's baby. She came up with the idea, and once it kind of got more vocal, um, Alex, Oscar, and myself were like, let's jump on and help in any way we can. But Ellie's really what we call the mama. This is her baby. <laughs> um, and we're, we're happy to help and support her vision, and it has turned into all of our visions. But I think also it just comes from a sentiment that we all had. Um, so maybe I was the first one to take that leap off the deep end, but um, it was all of us that really have gotten it to this point. I could comment. I remember when Ellie reached out to me. Uh, it, was, it was before this year, right? It yeah. Had to that was like in November when we were really, Thank when you. I was really just trying to get it off the ground. Right. And, you know, from that point, we I think we both had the same idea of what this could become. And it's just given the circumstances of how busy we both were individually. Um, it just was like, all right, well, we'll see what we can do in the meantime. And then, you know, there's so many people have said, you know, thanks to, to quarantine, uh, many things have popped up. And this fortunately took flight during that time because we had the time and the energy and the drive to do it, given everything going on. So uh, it's been a nice thing to see how <clears throat> we've had Alejandro and Alyssa 
uh, and others just reach out and want to be a part of this and us being the founders and really pushing things forward. It's nice to see that, you know, this could actually become, well, it is becoming something huge and it's, it's really, really cool to see. So if I'm uh, if I'm new to like AT Twitter, I don't really use Facebook for athletic training stuff. And I see Latinx ATs pop up it's like, do you want to follow them or join? What information uh, would you like those people who have no idea what this is and why this group is together? What would you say to, to them? Alejandra, do you want to touch on this one? Um, yeah, I think first and foremost, my why behind this was um, representation matters, right? So I want everybody to know that we will try to best represent the Latinx and Afro-Latinx community as, as best as we can. And as um, in, from an ally's perspective, this is not only for our colleagues, it's for our Latinx community and for our Latinx patient um, population demographic, right? I, I feel that we don't have as many resources as we should uh, for our Spanish speaking patients and our population and a lot of our colleagues are a little lost when it comes to communicating um, with our Spanish-speaking patients. So, uh, one, you know, this is this is for us, but it's also for you. It's for the people. Um, it's not just for the Latinx community. It's, it's it was began that way because of a void in our profession that I specifically felt. And um, you know, from speaking to other Latinx athletic trainers, it definitely felt by them as well. Everybody says that they now have a, a sense of belonging. You know, they can finally belong somewhere, somewhere culturally where not only do people look like them, but can relate to them at a different level. And so, you know, if anybody comes across our page, everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter what your race, ethnicity, or background is. Even if you're not an athletic trainer, um, I think just the type of the content that we've been pushing out can be used in different healthcare settings and with different healthcare professions. So um, I think that's that's just the most important thing to know is everybody is welcome. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, just to kind of touch on what Alejandra said is, um, we want other athletic trainers to know that they're not alone. I think everybody in this, in the founders, um, the reason we, pushed this group is because we experienced things where we wish we had people who were going through the same struggles as we were. Um, I know personally it was during my under, undergraduate career um, when I was over in Michigan and I wish that I had somebody who had my cultural background, could speak Spanish, and could relate to something that I was going through. Not saying, you know, that I didn't have nice people around me, but there is something to be said about someone who can connect with you culturally. So we have all felt that void in our athletic training career, so we wanted to make this group so somebody who is also feeling that void can say, hey, there are people here to support me, and that's definitely what we want to do as well. And I, I want to touch on that a little bit because I feel like our student population is left out a lot, our athletic training students, right? I think trying to retain our students in our programs, you know, it just takes that one clinical instructor to change that student's mind and they will go to a different profession. So I think from an educational standpoint, we need to also relate to our students and better serve them and better represent them 
and also remember that we need to be inclusive. A lot of people are huge on diversity, but within that, they forget about inclusivity. And so that includes your Native American students, your, um, you know, your Latino students, your Afro-Latino population. It's, it's, not, it's not just as simple as focusing on one minority or one aspect because you know, you have DACA students who deal with different issues than a normal student would, or, you know, different households, different cultures, things that affect the student, an athletic training student, and they need to be able to relate to their clinical instructor or the educator, or at least find some kind of support. Um, so I think one of our pushes is also with making sure that we retain our Latinx athletic training students because you know, that's the only way we're going to continue the diver diversity within the Athletic Trainers Association, right, is making sure that we, I hate the word recruit, but that we recruit our black and brown students, you know, students of different ethnicities, and, and more importantly, retain them, and making sure that they have the support that they need as an athletic trainer, athletic training student of color um, throughout now their master's and undergraduate um, studies, because um, that's, that's one thing, like I had, I had two athletic trainers um, that were Latinos, Steve Cortez and Joe Gonzalez in my undergraduate program, and that was it. So it's like, you know, and that's pretty much all I saw going through athletic training. So making sure that, okay, if I don't have someone of color, can they at least like send me, point me in the right direction to somebody who can relate to me, number one, and number two, can they provide me with the resources that I need as an athletic trained student of color? Um, so I think that's, uh, that's a huge point for me as well is, you know, not only having someone that looks like you, but who can support you. And if you don't have someone who looks like you, because we all know it's, I think 80, 80% now of our membership is white. So mm -hmm. they need to be able to better support our athletic trained students of color. And that 80% hasn't shifted since 97. It's been, about, it's been around like 80, it's like 83, it's bounced back, but it's definitely, I don't think it's been lower than 80%. All right, Oscar, you want to throw anything on that? Yeah, so I was just thinking about my experience and I was looking back to my first like real preceptor because at UNOV, our, the first semester is like a baby semester. It's kind of just to get your prereqs done. And then summer is like, do I really want to be here? And then fall is when it really counts. So I had my first preceptor uh, who is of uh, Mexican descent and he worked at a high school on the east side of Vegas. And if you're familiar with Vegas, there's, there's a distinct difference between the east side and really everywhere else. Um, although I didn't grow up in that area, I was familiar with it. I knew people who lived there and it felt comfortable for me. So being at that school, it was like, wow, these kids, you know, 80% were of Latinx descent. Uh, you know, a lot of them spoke Spanish or English or their parents just spoke Spanish or they just spoke Spanish, right? So him being there was an opportunity for these kids to not feel alone, right? And I didn't feel alone either because I was like, wow, this is super comfortable for me. Like I can walk in, just talk to the kids like, hey, what's up? And then we get to business, right? Um, and then I shift to Centennial High School, which so that's Desert Pines High School, actually a really no, well-known high school for football. And then flash forward to the following semester in spring, Centennial High School on the other side of town, which is the complete opposite. You look at it, it's the, the total opposite of what Desert Pines was about. 
So naturally, I felt a little, you know, different, you know, it's a different demographic, different just way of living and everything. Uh, regardless, I was still going to be there. But I always look back and I always reference my first semester of undergrad because that's where I felt that I can make an impact, right? Uh, because I had my preceptor who spoke Spanish to the kids if they didn't understand English that well, uh, definitely communicate with the parents very well and ensured that the, the his ATR was a safe space. Uh, because, you know, you hear so many stories of these kids, it's just disheartening, right? Because that's that's real life for them. Uh, so from that moment, I ensured that I wanted to do my best by those who who looked like me. I had another instructor tell me like, he was the one who set up a lot of the high or a lot of the athletic training care here in Las Vegas when it first started. And he told me, you know what, and if I go back to DP, they're not going to listen to some, he said, and I quote this, they're not going to listen to some old white guy. You know, I don't know. They don't relate to me. They relate to you. Somebody that looks like them. So he's like, that's good that you're doing this kind of work uh, because otherwise you're not reaching the important people, you know, your patients there's a significant barrier whether it's you know the trust in healthcare, right because there's always a that issue especially within the latinx community uh but also just the language barrier just being able to communicate properly and being able to give information even if they don't want your help be like hey look just be careful you know being able to communicate uh, communicate that in, in a good way resonates well with with the children right with the athletes but even with their parents too and it just reminds them that you know there are people that are there for them when so often they're not uh, you know, there's so many from my from my family. There's many personal stories about how you know healthcare professionals did not treat my, my parents right, myself right. So it's like, okay, cool. Now I can make that difference for that kid who might be kind of scared to go into uh, an ATR, a doctor's office, whatever. They'll have the confidence in them that they got someone on their back. And touching on the athletic training students, uh, my class was relatively diverse. But even so, I only had one other friend who spoke Spanish and, you know, he's Guatemalan. So we shared that, you know, we're, although I'm a Mexican descent, regardless, we shared this, this, the culture, the language. It was a good time with him, uh, though there was, you know, minimal opportunities on the, the most diverse campus uh, in the country. Uh, you got to find ways to, to make things work for you. And when Ellie reached out to me about this idea, I was like, this is perfect because this could become something huge because there is a population that wants to be a part of this. Um, at our town hall, because well, I know we'll talk about it, but I just want to briefly mention, we had somebody speak up about their experiences at the undergrad and how elated they were to find this organization. We just barely started, right? But he told his mom, and there's not many things as you know, somebody of Latinx is saying, you don't tell your mom for just anything. Like This is some big deal stuff. And that for me was like, this is exactly what we're here for. Nothing more, nothing less. That's that's what we're here for. And everything else is just extra, right? It's important. But when he said that, I was like, this is it. We did it. Yeah. And I was actually going to use uh, that story or similar story when we transitioned to the town hall. Because um, as soon as I saw the town hall was up, I'm very new to the whole Latinx. Uh, I don't use... Facebook like at all besides my parents and I use Twitter so when the quarantine came up and I saw it I didn't really know anything and they're like we have a town hall I'm like yes and uh what went it was a gentleman and he said exactly how you put it it was just such a relief and he was he felt so warm and welcomed and there was other people that could understand what he's gone gone through and what he's going through 
And at that moment, I, yeah, I was like, this is, this is legitimate. They're doing phenomenal things. Uh, it goes above and beyond athletic training. Um, and, I, and I thought that was great. And then I don't know if it was the town hall or if it was the EDAC and ATA, uh, virtual NATA town hall, but someone might even been Alex, someone, I'm not sure. Someone said that, uh, the athletes who are primarily Spanish speaking, they deserve better care than broken Spanish or someone not knowing any Spanish and trying to uh, get adequate care through that language barrier. And I, I thought that was phenomenal because I have a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes, parents that are primarily Spanish speaking. And do I speak Spanish? No, I speak a couple of words. And that is like, how can we get that care better? Because if we can't even get through that barrier, um, there's no way they're going to be able to do what they need to get done to get their bodies right, to get better, to come back to sports. And I thought that was just a great couple of comments. I, um, I would love to touch on that, but I, I do want to emphasize this um, because we, all, we, we keep saying like people who look like me, but if you look at the screen, we all don't look the same. Mm -hmm. so I want to make, I want to make that point where um, you, people try to put like race and ethnicity in like one box, right? And, and, and it's the same thing with like the census. It's one box, Hispanic. And the term Latino and putting different boxes are now, is now starting to become a concept where like they now include a Mexican or Mexican American and whatnot. And so I want to make the first point where we all look different, but we all share some cultural similarities that we can relate to, right? The, the Latino community is, the list of ethnicities and cultures is uh, unbelievable, right? You have the Afro-Latinos who can be from the Dominican Republic, who can be Cuban, who could be Puerto Rican, and then you have Mexico, and then you have Guatemala, and then you have, you have all of these different countries and whatnot. And so that also translates to our students and our student population and understanding our student athletes culturally, right? Because um, we've spoken about this, Tom, the Salvador, you know, that, that is a very common thing in yeah. the Mexican culture where if you get hurt, your parents will take you to this magical healer called the Salvador. And, you know, like that was one of the things that I had to teach my, my student athletes because my parents did the same thing to me. I played soccer my whole life. So anytime I got hurt, they took me to a Salvador. And it wasn't until I met a Latin athletic trainer that I was like, oh, okay, I know what to do now. Um, but like, so I try to do that for my students and try to educate them. And, and it's easier because I, I do speak Spanish and because I am a Latina and I can communicate better with their parents. So they, they, they feel um, more confident to kind of, I guess, trust me, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I also would love for us, I know we're going to do and see is produce content for athletic trainers like yourself who have a, a huge population of Latino and Spanish speaking students so that you can better communicate, even um, provide infographics, resources um, in Spanish for you to provide for parents and whatnot, because I had to do all that on my own. You know, one of the first things I did in secondary school sitting was go to NATA's website and see what they had available for Spanish. And it's not much, if any at all. So I had to translate a lot of the documents and I made my own documents. And I think that's an, if I'm a Latina who understands and speaks and, and writes Spanish and I'm having trouble because medical Spanish is completely different than conversational Spanish, right? I can only imagine what the non-Latino athletic trainer is going through trying to communicate 
with their student athletes and, and their student athletes' parents. Um, so I think that they do deserve better healthcare. And I'm not saying you have to speak Spanish to communicate, you know, I'm not, no one needs to forcefully go out and learn Spanish, but you should have the resources and the help available to you as a healthcare professional, right? And I think that's something lacking in our professions for our Latino community. And that's definitely one of the things on our agenda is to, like I said, it's not just about us, it's about our community, it's about our profession and how we can also better serve our, um, our Latinx population. Um, so I, I love, half of my kids are brown and most of them are undocumented. So it's it holds a, a special place in my heart, um, making sure that they get the care because they don't wanna go to the doctor because it could be reported to ICE and whatnot. And you know, it's those different types of things that we need to be aware of as healthcare professionals, not just athletic trainers, as healthcare professionals when we're dealing with our student athletes and understanding why they don't, they're not compliant, you know, because it's usually always a deeper issue as to why they're not being compliant. Yeah, and I want to touch on that too. And and like Alejandra said, we're not saying every athletic trainer needs to go out and take a Spanish course to relate to their patient. That's not what we're trying to push. We're trying to push that there should be resources available for athletic trainers to better communicate with their patients. And I think, especially with patient care and, you know, specifically in the DAT and learning about patient care right now, communication is only a part, it was only a very fine section of how you connect with a patient. And I think patients pick up on things like willingness to try and communicate in their native language as opposed to, oh, I don't know it, I'm not gonna try. Or, um, you know what, I don't know that, but let me find some resources. You know, it's not stopping at, I don't know, so that my job is done. Um, so I think as athletic trainers, you know, and this goes beyond the, the Latinx community, we need to be able to be go, to be able to go above and beyond to try and connect um, with patients that we're not really familiar with their culture or their native language. It goes back to uh, tolerance. And, you know, we're not saying you have to be well-versed on every culture that is out there because that's near impossible to do. But you need to be able to say, I might not know it and have the willingness to say, I don't know, but let me find the answer for you. Cause I think that's a big barrier. People don't want to admit that I don't know this or I don't know that, or I don't want to know or don't want to learn. Um, I think that's another point that we have to make too. So just the willingness of wanting to learn and then, okay, how else can I help you? And I kind of just wanted to, my on, yeah. I kind of just wanted to add to that. Um, you know, between tolerance and inclusion, right? Tolerance kind of limits you to be able to detach yourself from the other person, right? Like I'm gonna tolerate you, but you're not influencing me or my decisions, right? But inclusion is taking the, other's pers the other person's culture and saying, okay, this is what you're understanding about your care, about, um, you know, your rehabilitation, about your education. So I'm gonna factor that in to how I address you, again, in your care or in your education, right? And a lot of times, and I've experienced that between both patients and students. Students, um, I've had students tell me, right, like they're always looking for the minority to be able to relate to someone, right? Someone that looks like them, either 
a black male or a Hispanic male, a Hispanic female, et cetera. And they, that's like the first thing that they see, right? So if you're not one of those things, what can you do, right? And that's where I, allyship and inclusion comes in, right? Like how am I including the other person's understanding, um, the other person's upbringing and experiences to really try to understand them moving forward. All right, just let everybody know we have 10 minutes before Zoom will kick us out. Right. Oscar, did you want to uh, say any, add anything onto that? They all said it perfectly. You know, I just share, it's, it's, it's really great to know that we share the same sentiments in so many of these things because the experience is so unique. I, I mean, I brought this up the other day. There's a whole, you look at South America and Central America where it's, there's so many countries that are predominantly Spanish speaking. So when you think that and like people do come to the United States and they have this language and this culture, it just, for me, it reinforces the need for this organization. You know, it's just, again, I'm going to reference the, uh, the town hall. We had so many people uh, after the initial conversation kind of speak up and have a testimonial of how they felt and how they, when they saw this happening, even on the Facebook page, we still get new members commenting on how relieved and how happy and how excited they are. And, you know, with all the information we've been pushing lately, it's just, all right, what, what else can we do? Because there's so much to do, you know. Um, and I can only imagine when return to sports, like for everybody happens, you know, the kind of content, the kind of information that people will be seeking out. Um, it's just exciting. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's an overwhelming sense of we're doing the right thing. Uh, although, you know, there will be backlash and there'll be issues or whatever, just like anything, you know, you go against the grain for whatever reason is going to be that that's fine. We welcome that, I think. Uh, but with that in mind, it's just this reinforcement we're doing the right thing and you know every time we have a good conversation or something's brought up it's like we yep we're doing it we're doing this right and we got to keep going yeah and it's in, in my opinion it's conversations that have to happen uh, you mentioned earlier if 80 percent of the demographics for athletic training are white individuals uh, i guarantee you a very large population or percentage of that 80 percent they don't understand these different barriers, these different struggles um, that these athletes, that these kids, that these families are having. So it doesn't matter if you have the best skills in the world. If you can't uh, use those skills in a way to, you know, positively, positively affect someone or that they'll follow that, then you're not getting the job done. And that's hurting your students. That's hurting their families. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll admit I was hired at East Chicago Central High School, which is in Indiana, real close to Chicago, but in Indiana in 2018. And I had zero experience uh, with any of the stuff we've talked about in the last 30 minutes. And um, the first time I heard of the Mexican doctor, that's what they told me. Um, it was an athlete who hurt their knee. And I was like, this could be an ACL. You need to go to see like an orthopedic surgeon, a doctor and get imaging. And they came back the next day and they're like, yeah, I saw a doctor. I was like, who? And they're like, the, and they, they didn't really want to tell me. And they're like, the, and then finally they're like the Mexican doctor. And I was like, what? And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's, you know, the city next to us, this guy is like out of his basement. He's got all this massage stuff and he, he helps all the kids. And I was like, well, I've never heard of that in my life. And then I've had a, a soccer athlete go down and I run out there and, and she needs medical attention. I'm trying to call mom 
and mom only speaks Spanish. Well, mm -hmm. here I am where I, I don't speak Spanish. So I'm trying to tell mom, like, I need you to get to the school as fast as you can to pick up your daughter because she's injured. And there's just all these different things. And like you ask an athlete, hey, why don't you go see a doctor or go to the emergency department? And they, and they tell you, well, we're afraid of ice. You know, my family's afraid. Or, you know, mm -hmm. my parents aren't, aren't legal citizens. So we like don't do anything and we make as least amount of noise as possible because they're hiding. And um, there's a lot of people out there and they don't, they can't even comprehend that these struggles exist, let alone actively talk about it and be open. So I think everyone that is involved uh, with this organization, with the Latinx ATs, it's phenomenal. And just keep pushing on. Um, I see the numbers on Twitter, like 500 followers. Facebook's like 300 friends, followers. I don't know how Facebook works. Um, and I think that's just great. The town hall, what'd you have in the town hall? hundred people? Um, I, oh, I can't, I think we had about 70 something. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, I think we had over a hundred people register, but um, at the end of the, I think it was like 70 something people showed up. And that, and that's people, you know, across the country in all different settings, all different demographics. That's, you know, that is a measurable impact. That's phenomenal. Uh, is there anything else that anybody would like to mention or talk on or bring to light or say to people that might watch this? Or, or let's start with how you got the Twitter, you got the Facebook. Are there other ways to follow and help and, and learn and be a better ally and, or just become a member? I think one, um, a lot of people are asking how, how they can help. Mm -hmm. And we, the, the support is literally overwhelming. Like I, I'm astonished by how many people want to be involved in help. And I, I, I just want to say for anybody watching this and wants to help, like, we will eventually get there with the subcommittees and, and making sure that people are involved. Like we just got our mission and our vision um, straight. And with everything happening with COVID, we're going back to work. Like I start work again on Monday. So things are, are, are going to move along. They're just going to move along slowly. We want to make sure that we have a strong foundation before we even start getting people involved. So uh, be patient with us. Um, we would love to have people, but we just don't want to say, yeah, help us and then be super unorganized with anything. So um, just be patient. we got a lot more coming up. And um, more importantly, if you follow us, I would just say to check all social media because that's where we put our content, but also to check the link in our bio, right? Like from all the social media posts that myself and, and, um, and Oscar put together, Alyssa makes into infographics so that if need be, you can print it out and have like a poster or something and put it in your room or in your, in your athletic training facility or whatever to have these resources for you. Um, so if you're not a social media person, we, we can work on that. Like there's a lot we can do. Um, we can eventually make a website, but I think just more importantly, be patient with us uh, where we're growing and we will, we would love to get everybody involved as soon as we can. Yeah, I mean, um, and for any students that are that are listening, you know, uh, regardless of where you come from, it's it's important to be involved from a very early starting your career. Um, I'll really quickly, I did as much as I could during my undergraduate time, uh, and I think it set me up pretty well. And following organizations like this, following people like ourselves, even Tom, who's great with his content, it's important because these 
other people that you want to be following. There's a lot of athlete trainers out there that do a whole lot of talking, you know, I can attest to that. Uh, but in, in that mind, they might not be talking as much or talking about the right things. So looking for those important people that you can uh, like, you know, follow, you know, in their footsteps and in a sense is important. So I urge the students to really be involved, to get connected. Don't be afraid. You know, I, Tom and I uh, connected last year and, you know, I was kind of nervous. I wanted to meet you at NATA actually. Uh, I was, but I was so busy and I was like, oh my God, you know, but that's okay to do that because that's how you grow. It's you start learning to communicate. You start having these conversations that are so important. Uh, so that's my advice to you all. Yeah, and I wanna say thank you, Tom. Um, you have really been such a vocal supporter of us from the get and just giving us the opportunity to spread our message like this and being so um, in tune to our message and our vision. So I wanna say thank you to you. And I know a lot of people are gonna be following in your footsteps, but um, your 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 efforts as well have not gone unnoticed and we definitely appreciate them as an organization thank you all right we got a minute anybody want to wrap up close i just want to say allyship is really important no matter what ethnicity you are i think it's really important to um understand allyship and how to be a better ally and um we as Latinos and Latinas are ourselves allies to our Asian community, our black community. Um, and I think we, we need to realize that there is intersectionality and, and a lot of things that affect the Latino community, affect the black community, affect the Asian community, affect everything. And, and um, being an ally to us also means that you're an ally to our Afro-Latino population, to our, our, our black um, athletic trainer population and so on and so forth. And um, hopefully we can better support allyship and provide more resources for allyship and um, overall just make the profession a little better. And what I would say to anybody that wants to be an ally, uh, don't, don't go out and learn. There's a lot of stuff. Like I talked to Alex uh, every day of the week for like the last month and I, I still confused on what terminology to say and how to phrase things and that's wrong. And, and you think you're saying 